Good morning. My name is uh, Brian. I, this is my ADD is not going to get by with that. So let me slide that back. My name is Brian. I am the uh, student pastor here at the fellowship. And uh, thank you for being here this morning. Loved worship. Uh, Wade, that, that was epic. Uh, I know we were all stoked. Uh, to, listen, here's the reason I say that. Because Ben and Jimbo do the icebreakers for me on Wednesday night, right? And they put this game together. Uh, called Know Your Leaders. So students, do you know your leaders? And they'd come up with these questions that we, the leaders, had to answer, right? And they'd put them on the big screen and, and they'd answer. So we did this Wednesday night. And I went, you got to keep in mind who was in the room, the adults, right? Don't, don't think about the students, the adults. Me, Jimbo, and Aaron Lloyd, okay? So at least, at least I think we're still called adults. But the, the thing about it, we're standing in the room, right? So the question was asked, what leader hates the overuse of words like stoked and epic, and I can't remember what the third, legit, right? And I didn't care who the leader was. I didn't care who the answer was. All that me and Aaron and Jimbo were probably thinking was, oh, dear goodness, why did they give us this information? And sure enough, it was Wade, uh, one of our worship uh, pastors, who, who hates the overuse of those words. So the whole night, the rest of the night in that service, guess what words were used from every single person? It was also, it was also guess whose nickname is Boo? And um, Aaron Loy's name was one of them. And I was like, I don't care if he is... The one whose nickname is Boo, after tonight, it's going to stick. Aaron Loy's nickname is going to be Boo. And he got in the parking lot, and he's like, you know, that's probably going to stick now, right? I said, not my fault, man. It's Ben and Jimbo's fault. I'm just here, you know. I'm just, I am so, uh, so, so stoked to be here with you <laughs> this morning. Uh, I noticed, I noticed it was so funny, man, as Lynn was standing up here talking about uh, next week and, and next Saturday, I noticed they put me on the preaching schedule this Saturday uh, and not next Saturday. And I don't know if that was, you know, strategically planned or not, uh, being born and raised in Alabama, and, and everybody knows I'm a, I'm a little bit of an Alabama fan. Lynn may have me on duty in the hall next week, and I may not even be able to come in here. I have no idea. But I, I, Tennessee, I wish y'all, y'all luck. Not, not really. Here we go. <laughs> so one of the things that growing up as uh, an abuse survivor, being, being abused as a child and being able to overcome those things, uh, abuse is not one of my favorite words. It really isn't. So when we talk about this morning, uh, the question, where's the line drawn between grace and enablement? I want to talk about that in, in two ways. One, uh, God's grace doesn't enable us to continue to live in sin. And the second way is God's grace, uh, not our grace, God's grace, when we extend it to other people, we don't enable them to continue to live in sin either. But one of the terms that I hear so much in, in our world here uh, as far as community is uh, abusive grace and how people abuse grace. And I, I just, one, I don't even really think there's such thing as abusing grace because if, if, you're, if you're to that walk of life where you're abusing grace, you're no longer walking in grace, okay? You're walking more in disgrace than you are grace. Now, cheapen grace may be a better uh, term for things, but abusing grace, that, that's just where you get to a point to where you're like, you know what, I'm going to live the way I want to live uh, contrary to what God's word says. 
So I want to talk to us this morning. I want to read uh, our text here in Matthew 5. And uh, I'm going to pick up down in verse 20. And it's talking about Adam and the trespasses that led to condemnation for all men. And we pick up in verse 20 and it says, Paul writes, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now that's where a lot of people... That's, that's where grace gets kind of taken out of context a little bit. So, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Pray with me this morning. Father, we come to you and we thank you for the worship that we just had. And we, we thank you for this church, this community of believers, Lord, who have gathered together. And, and pray, Lord, that we can be a light in this community. That we can proclaim your gospel and show the greatness of your grace and mercy that is working throughout our lives. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So, so the thing about grace is, it, it literally is, I have words that I hate too. Like, I hate the word rally. I despise, don't ask me why I hate the word rally. I just hate it. I remember when I was a kid playing baseball, and we would be losing, which was a lot on the team I was on, and people would be like, put your rally caps on. I never would say the word. I refuse to say the word. I just hate it. As being in student ministry of 17 years, as Lynn knows, he, he, he knows this word. Jimbo knows this word. When, when we were growing up early in student ministry, man, people would have these things called youth Rally. I never, ever, ever had a youth rally. I would call it a youth gathering, a youth, a youth event, but I refuse to use the word rally. And I hate it to the day, just like I hate the word mayonnaise. There's no reason why. I just hate it. <laughs> some words you love, some words you, you, you don't love. But I love, absolutely, one of my favorite words in, 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 in the English language uh, is grace. I just love and has always loved grace. The word grace. In fact, statistically, I don't know if you knew this, statistically, like even people who are named grace talk more words than any other person in history. Did y'all know that? That's totally false. We just have a grace in our youth group that talks more than any other person in history. So I just thought, I thought just kidding. Just, just kidding. Now, not really. I'm really not kidding, but you know what I'm saying. But grace is one of my favorite words. And one of the things I try to teach the students is the importance of God's grace and how it's supposed to be embraced and explaining to him that it's not a license to live in sin. Yet in him giving, it's him giving us the power to live in him. When God's grace really takes hold of our hearts, it does the exact opposite of encouraging sin. It causes us to draw near in love and faith to God, which is where we find a greater desire to walk in a manner pleasing to Him. Listen to how Titus puts it in, in chapter 2, verse 11 through 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. When I started out as a young Christian, I didn't even know what the grace of God really was because I grew up in a very legalistic church in a small town in Alabama. And they, they, all I ever heard when I was a new Christian was everything that I couldn't do. You can't do this, you can't do that. And I was mentally keeping this checklist of all the things that I couldn't do because I thought, well, if I, if I don't do all these things, then God's going to love me more, right? My brain was exhausted because by the time I got 
got through this big long checklist of things I couldn't do, I was sitting there thinking, well, now what in the world can I do? Because some of the things that were, that were told to me that I couldn't do weren't in Scripture, right? It was just traditions that man has made up because the church has gotten really good at just making traditions and it's like, you know, those seven words. We've never done things like that before. It's like the most dangerous words in church. So it's like we don't care if it's in Scripture or not. You can't do it because we think it's bad, right? So I had no idea what I could and couldn't do. So then... Then, through Scripture and through some good mentors in my life, I started finding out what this grace was that had rescued my heart, this mercy, this grace that took up. And so I started learning more about grace, and it was amazing. That's amazing grace. I mean, that's why I, I found out why it's called amazing grace, because I was, my mind was blown. I was like, wow, this is amazing. But even when I started finding out about grace, people would come back and say, okay, well, here's grace, but be careful not to do this and not to do that. Don't abuse grace. Don't do that. And it was just like this exhausting thing and I was like man can I just enjoy grace not to live in sin I'm not wanting to live in sin I'm not looking at grace as an excuse to continue and to live in some sinful sinful pattern my mind is just blown that this grace covers me and there's this unlimited supply so as a young Christian I, I was just told everything I couldn't do even when it come into into the world of grace. I was still like, here's grace, but you can't do this and you can't. Grace changes our focus. It's, it's sort of like uh, controlling a small child, if, if, if you can think with me through this. Picture this. There's a toy sitting on the table in the middle of a room full of other toys, and the child is sitting on the floor happily playing with the other toys. Then you walk up to the child and you tell this child, you, you see all these toys that you're enjoying? But you see that toy over there on the table. I don't want you to touch that toy. You understand? Before the child was unaware there was even a toy on the table, he was happily playing with the toys on the floor. But now you just took his attention away from what he was doing and you put it on what he's not supposed to be doing. And of course, what do you think the kid is going to do? He's going to get bored with his toys real quick, make his way over to the table, start playing with the forbidden toy. I did this a long time ago in student ministry. I painted a red button on a wall in the youth room back in the church I was serving at in Alabama. And I put on there, do not touch this button. It will cause electrical damage, right? I just wanted to see how many teenagers would come in there and look at that. I'm telling you, man, every single, like if I did that, if, listen to me, I love our students. Oh my gosh, I love our students. Y'all know how much I love being here. I love these guys. They show up. This morning before I came in here, they were sending encouraging texts. They were like, come up in the hallway hugging me. It's like, hey, we're praying for you. Amazing group of students. But listen, I know, I know this. If I put a red button in the student room and I said, students, do not push red button. We'll cause the end of the world. We are dying. <laughs> because I can picture Abby and Logan, just the first two I laid my eyes on, I can picture Abby and Logan walking into the room, looking at the button. I would have to put it down here so Abby could see it. But I see them <laughs> looking at the button, right? They're looking at the button, and they're sitting there looking at one another. And, 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 and Logan's like, that says if we push it, then it's going to end the world. And Amy's like, wait, what? And, and Logan's like, yeah. And so they stop first and take a selfie with the red button, right? <laughs> and then 
All of a sudden, one of them talks the other one into, I don't believe it's going to cause the end of the world. Boom! We're gone. We're standing up in heaven as a group of community of believers and somebody's looking at me saying, who put the red button in the room? Grace changes our focus. And how does grace change all that? See, when you realize that you're free, that I'm free, we're free to do whatever we want because of the grace of God, it puts your attention where it really should be on God. And His grace and and in thankfulness for His grace and finding more about Him and your relationship to Him. And then you start letting Him express Himself through your life. That's what enjoying and living in grace is all about. You no longer think about all the time about what you can't do. You just automatically are doing the right things. You're letting Christ express Himself through you by loving people, by, by loving the things that God has placed in front of you. So the idea that grace causes a careless attitude to sin is a lie. I don't know where that lie even came from. I don't even know how we feel comfortable even stating, well, because we have this grace, it enables us just to continue living in sin because that's not true. Grace causes you to focus on what you should be focusing on, and that is Christ. If you think of grace any other way, then chances are you haven't experienced grace. God's grace is Christ in you, expressing his life through you, living a lifestyle that honors and glorifies him. You know what's so amazing? We, we, we continue on with grace and we know that it never runs out. It's always available. It's greater than all your guilt, shame, regrets, and sins that, you can, that can weigh us down. And many get caught in the trap of thinking their sins are so big that they have exhausted God's supply of grace. But we know that through our text, that's not even possible. Paul said the law was brought into that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of abusing grace and thinking of grace enabling us to continue to live in sin, we have to look at it a different way. Because like anything that is good, grace can be cheapened. Diedrich Bonhoeffer Bonhoeffer refers to it as cheap grace. And listen to how he describes it in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. Cheap, Cheap grace seeks to hide the cost of discipleship from people. It seeks to claim that as long as we make a profession of faith, we are saved. God's grace covers all our sins. And again, that is a wonderful truth. The Apostle Paul said as much when he wrote in our text, once again, now the law came in and increased the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet right after writing that, Paul goes on to say, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means how can we who died to sin still live in it cheap grace says you don't have to be concerned about purity holiness and obedience so when someone says that grace is just a license of sin that is a correct assessment of cheap grace not abusing grace 
cheap grace is grace that does not require death. It is death to the flesh. Listen to how, listen to how in First Peter it is wrote. Live as free, in chapter 2, verse 16, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. True biblical grace did not, does not enable us to live in sin. In fact, it's the opposite. Biblical grace enables us to live the life that God has called us to live. Is this, is this walk easy? That's what I tell the students all the time. I never, never lie to the students. I am never going to be one that stands in front of them and says, hey, listen, here's this walk, this Christian walk, and it is so easy. Because anybody that tells anybody that is, is something is wrong mentally because that is not true. I can't think of, if you're a person here this morning that's like, hey, you know what? Living a Christian life is easy for me. I don't need grace because I got all this down. If that's you, can I want to talk to you after the service because I need new friends to hang around. If that's you, I, we got to become buddies because I got to learn that secret because I know that I need grace every single day. And the thing about it is, I know that that grace is there. True biblical grace doesn't enable us to live in sin. In fact, it's the opposite. Biblical grace enables us to live the life God has called us to live. Listen to what, listen to how Paul puts it in Philippians 2. Listen to this. In 12, 13, so then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you. Listen to this. Enabling you not to sin, Enabling you both to desire and to work out his good purpose. Simply put, grace empowers us. To cheapen grace is not to walk in it. I remember when grace, when I finally, because when we come to a point in our life when, when this, this endless supply of grace is needed, you usually find out in that moment that you feel helpless, when you feel weak, when you can't, you don't know the answer you're going to go on, and you know nothing else to rely on but God's grace. I'll never forget, early in our marriage, which today's my wife's birthday, so it, 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 would, it would be wrong for me not to tell a story about my wife on her birthday, right? So she always gets nervous on this, but here's the thing. Is it, this is a true story. And this is how when grace, like 100%, I, I realized how empowering grace could be. And, and how it's usually when we're the most helpless when that power of God works through us. I'll never forget when we decided to have a baby, right? Like when we had talked about having a baby, which, which now we know is Alyssa. Uh, I, I'll never forget when I was introduced uh, to the fellowship. I don't know if y'all remember this. Y'all might not even caught on to it because, because Lynn, can, Lynn can say a lot sometimes and, and, and just put a spin on it. And you don't even notice he said it, but uh, to the people standing up here, we knew he said it. So when he introduced us, to like, here's Brian, his wife, and his son. Welcome them to the fellowship. I was like, my son, right? So we have a daughter. Her name is Alyssa. And uh, <laughs> so... Uh, Alyssa and I share a bond. Not, not a lot of people know how that bond came about. It's more than just a father and a daughter. So here's how it came about. So when my wife and I discussed about, we'd, I think it was two years after we'd been married, we talked about having a kid. And, you know, I was psyched about it at first. I was, I was stoked, right? I was stoked about having a kid. And, and I remember telling Nietzsche, I was like, this is going to be epic. We're going to have a kid. And, and this, this is just legit. So we were like, yes, 
So we're in the kid. So all of a sudden, listen, I was so excited. But then all of a sudden, she comes and says, hey, we're pregnant, right? She's like, we're having a baby. And like, it's all that excitement that I had built up. I'm just being honest with you. And I don't think negative. But truth will set you free. So if y'all ain't never been here before, fine. But like she said, we're going to have a baby. And I was, I was like, oh. Because then I started, I was just, I mean, I was just 20-something years. I was still a kid myself. I hadn't grown up yet. A lot of people say I still haven't grown up. I'm cool with that. But the thing about it is, I was still, in my mind, I was thinking, we're going to have a baby. I was like, I'm going to share my PlayStation now. Like, my kid's going to come up and be like, hey, Dad, can I play the PlayStation? I'm like, I'm going to have to say no because I don't want to share my PlayStation. And I don't know if any other dad in here has ever been in that position where it's like you're caught in that position and we're like, all right, I gotta, I gotta buy another controller. Like, I, I only have one controller at my house for a reason. So like when the students come over and they're like, hey man, can I play PlayStation? No, we only have one controller. And I'm thinking, how am I going to watch ESPN? Like, how am I going to get, like all, like, all the sports center that I intake? I'm not going to be able to do that now, right? Because, because now I'm going to be rocking a baby or something. I'm not going to have time to watch sports center. Like, I was watching sports center at 2.30 last night, right? So I tried to psych myself up. Like, I'm thinking, okay, well, we're having a baby, and uh, we're going to have a boy, right? And that boy is going to lo- he's going to be an athlete. He's going to love sports. He's, 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 he's going to be this great thing. So I had to, I'm building myself up. Now, I went into Nile for a little bit thinking, okay, um, you know, uh, maybe she's not pregnant. But it, the more we laid in the bed, the more I knew uh, that, that the bed was getting smaller. And I was like, like I would try to push her back like, 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 like this wasn't happening. You know what I mean? So we, we fast forward to the delivery room, right? Uh, so in the delivery room and Alyssa, uh, we find out that, you know, it's a girl. And I'm preparing myself now to be a father of a girl. And listen, I don't know if there's any dads in here that have daughters. It's the hardest thing in the world. Because the last thing I want my daughter to ever... I, I, I picture a knock at the door. And it's me on the other side of that door. Saying, hey man, I'm here to pick up your daughter. And I'm sitting here thinking, what would me now tell myself back then? I'm like, no, you aren't coming within... Get off a property. There's like restraining <laughs> orders, right? Pull, that, that I'm taking out. Like, so it gives, gives me anxiety because she ain't even born now, and I'm thinking about dating, right? I don't know who's going to date my daughter. Nobody's going to date my daughter. What's the legal age that we can set, like, through law that, that where she can't date? Can we do arranged marriages? We've discussed that. We've discussed arranged marriages because they don't ever end a divorce. So we thought about arranged, arranged marriages. And uh, the thing about it is, you fast forward to the delivery room. And so uh, Alyssa, the, the, when Alyssa comes into the world, there wasn't a cry. Right? And I went from that father who, who was stressed out about having a child. And, and, and a, but as soon as we didn't hear that cry, because the umbilical cord got wrapped around her neck, I... I felt as hopeless as I've ever felt in my entire life. And I thought to myself, in my mind, yeah, I questioned God because I was was like, okay, God, as a child, I'd overcome, you know, I went through this, I went through this, I went through the world on the other side of these things. And now here's this gift that you brought into the world and now you're just going to take it. And and the doctors were frantic. Man, the hospital room, it was just chaos. 
I don't know if you've ever been in the middle of chaos. Usually Thanksgiving, Christmas dinner, when your family shows up, that's chaos. You've been there, right? You're just sitting there thinking of ways you can end it. Like, when is this going to be over? I don't, that may not be your family. It might be mine. I don't know. But I'm sitting there, and I'm like, there's chaos going on, and I'm trying to think, and I'm trying to think out loud. And I remember sitting there in that time, and it was like, hey, God, I don't know anything else to do but rely on you. Because I am too weak to rely on myself. My brain isn't comprehending what's going on. I'm a little mad at you. I know you may be shocked at anybody to say, hey, you know, how could you say that? But listen, we act like God don't know our thoughts. It's the most incredible thing that we sit in church and don't know that God doesn't know our thoughts. That just amazes me. God knew my thoughts that day in the delivery room. And I remember sitting there and it was just, I, still, I was sitting down, just moved away from the situation, looking, and it's almost like you step outside of your body and you're looking at this. And I look at myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the most helpless person on the face of the earth right now because I don't know what to do. And in that moment, I had nothing to draw from but God's grace because I had nothing on my own, I had no understanding. I had no strength. I had no courage. It was just God's grace. And I'm like, God, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, what's going to happen here. And all of a sudden, man, the sweetest sound that has ever come uh, from any sound that I've ever heard was a baby's cry. And I thought instantly of God's grace. I think about Malachi in the Matthew, the 400 years of silence. Do y'all remember the 400 years of silence? Husbands, can you imagine? <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not going to say that because it's going to be that one husband in the here. It's like, what? Yes. Can you imagine 400 years? We can't even go four days without our spouse talking to us and we're paranoid. People hear 400 years of silence and, and I'm thought back to what was the first thing that the world heard after 400 years of silence. The first thing that the world heard that said, hey, you know what? It's okay. I got this. I got you. And that was the sound of a baby's cry that came into this world letting us know there's hope. I'm here. I'm not going away. My grace doesn't run out. My mercy doesn't run out. You have yet to see my best work. And we've seen his best work on the cross. And we've yet to see even his greater masterpiece. And that's when we leave this world and we're with him. Our eyes are really going to be in shock then because we're going to find out, oh my goodness. All the pain, the heartache, all the tears we've cried, all the hurts we've hurt, all the chaos we've been in. We're going to see how grace has been in our life this whole time, equipping us and giving us the power not to sin, not enabling us to sin, but enabling us to live in those moments that we're too weak to live, to live in those moments when we don't make the best decisions. We're not doing it on purpose, but we fall short, not even know we're falling short. And we sit there in repentance and we experience that God's grace doesn't run out. 
Grace will do for you what no what you cannot do on your own, and that is to live a holy and happy life, not based on your zeal and your efforts, but Christ's zeal and His efforts. No, it doesn't enable us to sin. It enables us to live. And that's the same way as point number two, extending grace to others shouldn't enable them to continue to live in sin. When a student comes to me and they tell me, and I have quite often students are told, one thing I've tried to teach the students is, hey, just be honest. Just be honest and, and let's get through this. And they are, man. They'll spit some honesty to you if you give them, you give them that freedom. And, and, and when they come to me and say, okay, here's a sin that I'm entrapped in. This is what I'm going through. And I, and I sit there and I tell them, okay, uh, and first of all, I have to tell you, we can't extend grace of our own. We're, we're only extending the grace that is given to us, right? So we're putting boundaries in place. I'm telling the student, okay, through repentance and here's some boundaries, here's some things you can work on. And then the student comes back a second time and says, I'm still caught in this sin. Well, have you, have, did you go through what we talked about going through? No, we didn't. Come back a third time. Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm still caught in the same sin. Well, did you, did, was there repentance? Did you go through these boundaries? It's, did, these things that, we, you know, that, I, that I helped you with to put, put around you to help you uh, not to be engulfed in the sin? They're like, no, I didn't. At that point, at that point, I'm starting to become an enabler. It's the same way as we watch the show Intervention, man. It's, it's, it's like... I'll never forget that there's a, I've been through that where a family member has been addicted to drugs and they will suck the life out of you if you enable them to. They will, they, you'll be exhausted because you're, you're trying to help the best you can. You're trying to put things in place the best you can. But it's like you just keep getting knocked down, knocked down because they're not appreciative of the efforts that you're putting through to them, the love and the grace that God's given you that you're extending to them and you're trying to help them. They're like, I don't want your help. And eventually, church, we have to take a step back and show tough love and love them from a distance and say, hey, if you're just going to continue to damage yourself in this destructive path, and I'm going to continue praying for you. And I'm going to continue loving you. And I'll continue trying to help you as much as I can. But I am not going to enable you to live walking a destructive path. God gives us so many examples of us. Luke 17, 3 and 4. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in that day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. You know what the key word in that passage is repent nowhere in that passage does it say hey if they keep on just keep on keep on keep on keep on with no repentance with no change with no other you just keep right along with them Matthew 18, 15, 17, if your brother sins against you, go and tell his faults between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one of two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. James, even if my brothers in chapter 5, 19, 20, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Even Titus puts it strongly when he says in 3, 10, 11, it's for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful and is self-condemned. And the greatest example... 
that we can draw from is Jesus' grace in action and how that grace looked. That it was not a grace that was enabled somebody to continue living sin or to enable somebody else to continue living sin. So if you flip over, if you're with, if you have your Bible in John 8, you know the woman who was caught in adultery, right? You know the religious leaders were going to stone her. Jesus comes in to the story. It's a beautiful collision. That's what it's called. It's kind of like the woman at the well. It's like Jesus shows up right at those right times, right? So there's this beautiful collision about to happen where this woman was dead to right. She had committed adultery. She had committed the sin. She was guilty. We knew she was guilty. It said it was guilty. It's just the religious leaders thought, hey, you know, what we're going to pick up some stones and we're going to throw them at them because they thought that hey you know what we're perfect and she's not so we're going to we're going to throw these stones at her and we know Jesus comes in in a moment of grace and mercy and intervenes into this woman's life it is a beautiful thing and when we pick up on down in verse 8 it says, and once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, the religious leaders, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Here is somewhere that we've all been. And it's the most precious thing ever is when we're alone with Jesus. Now, we can be what we need to be here. We can put on a show if we desire to put on a show. Or we can be, uh, we can be genuine. We can, all these things can happen. But in those moments when it's just Jesus and I, that's when things start to reveal themselves of what we really are. Are we relying on grace and mercy to enable us to live a life that he has called us to live? So listen to what Jesus says. He's left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, Now listen, Jesus did not say, Hey, you know what? Okay, I just give you grace. I just extended grace to you. A huge dose of grace to you. Now you just go on and carry on through life. No accountability. No pointing out what she had done. Jesus was like, Hey, here it is. Here's grace and mercy. It's free. And it is free. But listen to what he tells her. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. Now, of course, we know the lady somewhere fell short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. But Jesus is saying, hey, look, I just caught you in adultery. I just gave you grace. I just gave you mercy. Do not walk away from me and run right back to adultery. That's cheapening grace. True grace, true biblical grace enables us to live off of God's power that works through us. We're not doing things on our own. If you find yourself today exhausted, tired, not wanting to come to church, not wanting to deal with family members, if you find yourself just exhausted to the point of where you're like, man, I don't even know if I want to live this life. You're not drawing from the grace that God has to offer you. Because it is amazing. So where is the line drawn? Grace is not a gift that comes from us. It comes from God. And it enables us to live in Him, not to live in sin. Two, sometimes the best grace that you can offer is to stop being the source of enablement, especially if that source is allowing hurt, pain, or destruction. True 
Biblical grace empowers us and enables us to live a life that is wrapped up in Him, not ourselves.